are listening to FatCast. I am Leslie Kinzel, and with me, as always, is Marianne Kirby. Woo! <laughs> this is sort of surreal. Um, I feel like I feel like we should start this almost like confession, like um, it's been two years since our last FatCast, <laughs> and we have, you know, so much to talk about. Yeah, um, forgive us, fatties. It's been two years since <laughs> our last podcast recording. Um, so yeah, so we're we're sort of uh, trying to get back into the swing of it. Um, the topic that I sort of have pushed on Marianne for tonight is um, I want to talk about self care, which interestingly enough, I actually look back at our old. Um, sort of library of podcasts, which you can always go back and listen to if you're really bored. Although I'm sure now, in retrospect, I say a lot of really offensive stuff, in which case I apologize for past me. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, um, I don't think we've ever done an episode about specifically about self-care. Um, I think that's because I kind of hate the term self-care. Oh, good. We can talk about that. Yeah. Um, I have to tell people, though, like, I was at an art workshop today, and I get this text message from Leslie out of the blue, like, hey, do you want to record a fat cast tonight? So that's about how much planning has gone into this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know why I just got the bug for it, but I did, and I figured I'm going to strike while the iron is hot, as they say. So, yeah, um... Yeah, so just basically, we never did anything, you know, we talked a lot about sort of like, you know, taking care of yourself and dealing with crap from people, but we never really talked about, um, you know, specific strategies, I don't think, so I guess that's what we're going to talk about now, and I want to hear why you hate the term self-care. It's, I am not really good at that sort of new agey self-help psycho whatever terminology that gets thrown around a lot Mm -hmm. and self-care totally falls under that I'm like why do we need a pseudo psychological term for taking care of ourselves but I mean it's it's I guess in the greater scheme of things that's a minor gripe it's not like I object to the things that go into self-care there's just something about the term that like great <laughs> you know, you're not you're not the first person to say that to me. I never really I I know this is probably going to sound like really bizarre and obvious to people, but I never heard it in like that sort of, you know, art that like new agey hippie context. Like I always heard it in really strict sort of activist contexts, like activists talk about um I desperately need to practice some self-care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um particularly when you're getting a little burnt out or, you know, you've just taken on too much. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's really the context where I have um, heard that mostly. Like, so. Have you ever worked in a bookstore? No. Okay. I, I didn't work in a proper bookstore, but I worked at the Virgin Megastore, um, and I worked it, – It's I started out in the T-shirt booth selling T-shirts and condoms, and I wound up – in the book department and you have to kind of stock all of the shelves and be up on what the latest whatever is and I think that's actually the first place I encountered the term like in college working my seven dollar an hour virgin megastore at downtown Disney kind of job (laughs) with these sort of books that 
their idea of self-care was to call yourself a goddess, light some candles, and take a bubble bath. And I don't think any of those things are bad things to do, but I also don't think that they are going to sort of change how you feel about yourself, your body, and your life in a revolutionary, radical sort of way. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it, it all kind of, I don't know, sounds the same, feels the same. No, that's totally legit. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, totally legit. Um, one of the things I sort of wanted to talk about was um, what we do, um, like both you and I, but like also people in general, <laughs> what we do when we are, you know, sort of trying to take care of ourselves in, in so far as in, in the context for this and sort of the inspiration for this, too, is that like I feel like over the past, like, you know, several weeks across a bunch of different communities and a bunch of different groups of people that I, I know and follow, I'm seeing a whole lot of people just being completely like burnt out on freaking life, like just yeah. exhausted, you know, in, in, in multiple ways. And, um, you know, I, 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 I'm feeling that myself in a bunch of different areas as well. And I was sort of thinking like, um, you know, today I took a personal day, which from work, which I actually wound up working some because I have a problem, but um, I did. Yeah, I, did <laughs> I did take a personal day, which is like the first time I've done that. I think in like three or four years, and you know, I was sort of thinking about like why don't I feel okay doing that? Like why why do I always feel guilty when um, I say you know what I need some time or a day just to myself to handle my shit <laughs> and that was sort of what got me thinking about different ways in which um you know I different ways that I feel okay about you know sort of putting time aside to you know do what I need to do and different ways in which I feel guilty about that so um I sort of want to start by talking about um exercise or as you know uh we're sort of making happen fitnessing Fitnessing, I like. I like fitnessing. Um, so yeah, so I know that we're both sort of doing like different fitnessy oriented things lately, and um, I'm doing. I actually wrote about this on ExoJane, obviously, but for people who haven't read it, I um, <coughs> excuse me, I've been doing um hiking, or I've been trying to hike. I'm a terrible hiker. Um, I really, really, really suck at it a lot, but I perversely, I, I, I enjoy how much I hate it right now <laughs> and I'm really enjoying the feeling of sort of like sucking at it slightly less, like every time I do it. So, um, I've been sort of doing that and that has been a weird sort of, I don't know, I've had this, this sort of obsessive like interest in hiking for a really, really long time. And I always sort of felt like, you know, I'm not outdoorsy. I'm going to fall down a cliff and kill myself. Why would I do this? I hate hills. Um, <laughs> all Don't of that. Do you think that comes, though, from, like, being a fat kid and being, um, having everybody assume you aren't athletic in some ways, too? A hundred percent. I mean, it, it, it definitely comes from that. It comes from you know, going back to elementary school where I basically developed this feeling that if I, if I'm not a hundred percent sure that I can succeed 
at something physical, then I just won't do it, which obviously has long-term effects on the, your ability to do certain things, because if you're not, you know, trying to play kickball anymore, you will quickly stop being able to play kickball at the same level, just because it's like a practice thing, you know, like if you're not, you know, if you haven't played kickball in 20 years and then you go to play it again you're gonna suck at it it doesn't really matter how fat you are or are not Um, i like world where you're envisioning like different levels of kickball skill (laughs) like if you just work at it hard enough you can play kickball in the olympics exactly that there's like this meritocracy of kickball where you know you 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 know work hard and you apply yourself and you're going to be excellent at it which (laughs) (laughs) which obviously isn't true for (laughs) a lot of people um but yeah and it that's totally 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 a powerful influence on me is that you know I felt like what if I get like halfway up a hill and I can't get all the way up the hill like like I almost there's a part of me that's like I can't even face that you know we were uh Kate Harding and I were at Cornell for uh their love your body week I don't even know because time is meaningless. Uh, whenever we were there. A hundred years ago. A hundred years ago. And um, there's this, they call it Lime Slope, I, I think. And it's the worst hill I've ever climbed in my entire life. Wow. It's so terrible. It really is. Like, we had a great time and it was amazing and... There were so many students, and that was actually um, where I met some of the people I still know today. But that hill is still kind of my predominant memory of the place because it was rainy and kind of cold and the exact kind of weather that makes it really hard for me to breathe. Uh So I knew at the bottom of the hill that before I got to the top, I I might possibly die. And, I mean, I made it to the top, but it was a near thing. And, like, Kate had to wait on me, and I had to suck on my inhaler a whole bunch. And it was really, even in the company of somebody else who was fat, who was not going to assume that it was just because I was fat, um, it's also because I live in Florida and there are no hills. I'm like, what's a hill? Um, (laughs) You know, it was it was one of those moments of like this is really kind of embarrassing and terrible. Mm-hmm. And it's it's embarrassing for really inane reasons that you know it's embarrassing because it's at least for me and I don't want to speak for you obviously but for me it's like I feel like I'm fulfilling a stereotype. Yeah. Um, and um, that I really don't want to fulfill. But at the by the same token, it's like well if I'm you know asthmatic and fat and not good at hills and I suck climbing a hill that's not that surprising <laughs> you know like yeah. it's it's not something that you know I I I necessarily think is is all that you know embarrassing particularly even if it's somebody else I I don't really see that but somehow I have that indoctrination in my head it's like wow this is so humiliating and I feel like a terrible person and part of part of me, a quiet, stupid part, um, wants me to just be <laughs> like, give up, don't hike anymore because it makes you feel like crap. But yeah. the bigger part of me and the louder part of me is like, no, shut up, you jerk 
part of Leslie. <laughs> that part of you that's saying that. Keep hiking because it actually makes you feel really good because it does. Because there is, you know, this ridiculous sense of accomplishment when you get to the top of a stinking hill that you were like cursing you know, the, the plate tectonics that made it happen. <laughs> and I don't then, understand why the rest of you have hills. We're perfectly happy here in Florida with our flat flatness. Well, that's the thing that I was trying to explain to Dennis, my husband, about, you know, like when we first started hiking and I was like, oh my God, these hills suck. And he kept looking at me like I was just, like, he, <laughs> like it didn't even com- compute, like what, like what is complaining about a hill? And I eventually I had to sort of break it down for him that like this, I, I didn't, you know, Florida, there's like a ridge that goes down the center of the state. And I think it's like 20 feet above sea level, but that's like as high as Florida gets. Um, it's just, it's so super, super flat. And it's true. You don't, you know, like Dennis grew up in upstate New York running up and down hills like it was normal. So for me, it is, you know, completely not something that I ever really did when I was playing in the woods as a kid in Florida. So, yeah, but, um, yeah, so that's just, you know, like a thing that I'm sort of, I've been sort of struggling with is that, you know, the the evil part of myself that is like, just give up <laughs> um, versus the, the better, nicer, more encouraging, awesome, caring part of myself that says, no, keep going because, you know, It'll get easier, and even if it doesn't get easier, this is why you have an asthma inhaler. <laughs> I think there's the fat like component of that, and then I think I don't I don't know maybe I'm overthinking and overprocessing. But no way. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like there's actually two things happening, and one of them is like the whole layer of fat kid history, and the other is that I just hate being not competent at something. Uh-huh. And I think lots and lots of people, even people with no fat kid history, experience that sensation where, hey, I've never done this before. I better be perfect at it the very first time I try it. Yeah. And if I'm not good at it, I'm never going to do it again. Exactly. Because, you know, if your first experience is terrible, it's 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 hard to be like, yeah, okay, I'm going to go back and put myself through that again. And well, I, think, I think it's important, though, to separate your first experience. Like, I don't think being not good at something equates necessarily to your first experience of it being terrible. Mm-hmm. Like, I, um, well, I'm doing this art workshop, and I'm not very good at it. Um, it's this awesome collage painterly sort of thing and it it may not be for me but it's not a terrible experience I'm just not very good at it and I think that we have to learn to kind of separate those things for ourselves Mm -hmm. and that's how we give ourselves permission to not be good at things and still enjoy them and continue to do them There's something about, like, I don't know if it's that I'm a perfectionist or what it is, but there is something in me that historically is, if I'm not good at something, it is a terrible experience for me. (laughs) And I have to get over that. And that's just a weird part of my own psychology that, you know, if I do something, and this particularly as a kid was true with different sports. 
that if I would play a sport for the first time and I sucked at it, I basically wanted to murder that sport forever. Like, I didn't want anyone to play it. I wanted to forget <laughs> that the sport ever existed. Um, and it would be, you know, really sort of frustrating, particularly in, like, PE classes where, like, you know, you have to play it. <laughs> you know? So yeah. that's, I like I said, I think that's just part of my weird psychology that, for me, if I suck at something, usually usually unless i had really low expectations to start with um i am i i consider it a terrible experience <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but no i think that you know spending putting for me and and i know that you're sort of writing something about this on, along these lines too um but for me sort of you know making sure i set time aside to do this thing um, whether I'm, or to just exercise in general, to make sure I get, you know, to the gym and, and stomp along on the treadmill and pick up some weights or, you know, make sure I make time on a weekend to go, um, out and hike, even though I feel like, you know what, there's like other stuff I should be doing. Like, you know, my yeah. kitchen needs to be cleaned or I have a mountain of laundry that needs to be washed or, you know, like there, there has to be. Like, I have to get okay with myself, like, saying, no, I'm going to go do something that's, like, fun and awesome and makes me feel good, even if it means I'm, I feel like I'm slacking on stuff, other stuff. What, what kills me about the situation, though, is, like, that comment that you Instagrammed that you got on your uh, Exo Jane post about hiking. Oh, God. <laughs> that, that sort of illustrates the whole you can't win no matter what you do if you're a fatty because you're out hiking and you're doing things. And the comment was essentially like, well, you're fat. Of course you're terrible. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it's like, even if, even if you are interested in fitnessing in some way, there's an added barrier to it that you have to overcome, which is that there are douchebags who are going to harass you. I mean, I am not hiking because see again, Florida, yeah. but, um, I walk a lot in the neighborhood now and the dog hates it. She's like, why are we not on the couch? <laughs> she's so mad, Leslie. It's so funny. Like we get halfway through and she's like, are you serious? <laughs> really? <laughs> and part of it's cause it's still really hot. And part yeah. of it because she's just, she's a couch dog. Yeah. But, um, there are these two parts that are on a main road, mm -hmm. and every single time I turn the corner, if I'm by myself, I'm 100% prepared for somebody to cow call me from a car, right. throw something, you know, harass me in some way, because it's happened in the past. Yeah. Experience has taught that, you know, being a fat person walking down the side of the road is a little, little risky sometimes. Completely. Um, I never feel concerned if Ed is there. Yeah, that's exactly 100% my experience, too, that, like, I actually, there was one time not that long ago that a dude um, yelled something along the lines of me being a giant fat ass um, when I was with Dennis, but I think it was just because Dennis was, like, on the other side of the car. We were, like, in a parking lot. Mm -hmm. Um and I think that, you know, it was just he didn't realize that there was a dude there because I, if I'm with Dennis, I get no, like, shit from anybody, basically. Yeah. But if I'm on my own, I am, like, a big, 
fat target. Um, yeah. You know, and, and yeah, it's it's rough. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I've been able to do the hiking is because Dennis has been going with me. And I kind of feel like, you know, if I'm stuck halfway up a hill huffing and puffing, and even if he's at the top of the hill, like, I know there's somebody there who's, like, looking out for me. I mean, that sounds really stupid and paternalistic, but it, it, it I mean, it's an actual thing, you know, <laughs> like. I don't, I don't think it sounds stupid or paternalistic at all, because if you and I were out somewhere together, I would still feel like we presented a target. Totally. A, a twice as wide. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's such a gendered thing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that is, that's one of the things, I mean, if we're talking about self-care, that's one of the things you have to prepare yourself to sort of, I don't know, deal with in some way. Or sort of steal yourself against if you can. Yeah, and it, it, it becomes, I think, sometimes almost counterproductive because, you know, I'm I'm walking because I spend all my time at a desk or a computer, and I really like physical movement. And I struggled for a year and a half to get my blood iron and my thyroid at, at normal levels. Like, I ran out of hemoglobin, and you need that. Because <laughs> that's what I, I've heard. I've heard that that's important. <laughs> it's a rumor. But now that it's all fine and I feel better, I'm like... I, I want to move around all the time and go do things and be energetic. Mm-hmm. But if if going on these walks is part of my self-care, part of the things that make me feel good so I can take care of myself, the risk of being sort of, of, of – I hate to even call it street harassment because it's – a different kind of street harassment, I think. It's a specific flavor that's yeah. not the same as sort of street harassment in general, because it's not just, you know, like some asshole mistakenly thinking he's giving you a compliment by like hitting on you. It's yeah. people who literally are coming at you maliciously right out of the gate. Yeah. And the whole point is that you're being visible and they want you to be invisible again. Or they want to shame you into, yeah, like, regretting daring to leave your house by yourself. Yeah. And I walk in, like, I wear leggings and little tank tops. Mm -hmm. So I'm walking down this busy road in, like, skin-tight, sleeveless things with my fat out for all to see. Mm -hmm. And... I sometimes have to question, like, is this actually taking care of myself in this sphere Mm -hmm. doing more damage in this other sphere? Totally. Totally. I mean, one of the things that bugged me the most about that, that comment you mentioned was, you know, there was this whole, there was this tone to it in the middle part, part of it a lot of it got cut off on Instagram. Um, But there was this whole tone to it that was basically like, you know, you dumbass fatty, like, how did you not know that hiking is different from, you know, walking on a treadmill and that, you know, tre- basically suggesting that walking on a treadmill is pointless and, and ridiculous and why would you waste your time doing that? And that was sort of why my reaction was really about, you know, this just goes to show if you're fat, it doesn't really matter. You could be exercising according to, you know, the best, most, you know, heralded manual of, of 
of holy exercise that anyone could possibly give you. And people are still going to tell you you're doing it wrong. Um, I mean, there is this sort of this, this disgust in which is bewildering considering we want culturally, socially, you know, there's so much pressure for fat people to not be so fat and to get off their fat asses and, and shake that fat away. But when they actually do that, people make them feel like shit for going outside and, and, you know, trying to, and being in public and trying to actually, you know, move their bodies and, and be more active. I'm not even going to say be more healthy because like you said, I don't even think it's that simple. I think that there is, a lot of of negative consequences to it as much as there might be you know if there's if you're getting you know positive physical ones that's great but if it's hurting you emotionally how healthy is that at the end of the like you know at the end of the day i mean yeah these the fat hating assholes who are gonna say well you know you should suffer because you're fat and that's what you're supposed to do you're supposed to suffer and you know i don't i don't I, I think that, you know, exercise and activity should be, like, enjoyable and pleasant, and you shouldn't have to fear that every single car that passes you is going to, like you said, like, moo at you, because you never know. <laughs> <laughs> the other sort of complex thing to negotiate as a fat person pursuing activity because it's an enjoyable thing to to be in your body and feel your body is that other people are going to assume you're trying to lose weight. Yeah. And I joined a local group. Uh, I will plug it. It's the Central Florida Women Runners. It's a meetup of women runners and walkers and that sort of thing. I mean, it's a really descriptive name, right? It does what it says on the tin. Exactly. <laughs> and they meet up at, like, ass o'clock in the morning on Saturdays to run or whatever and like we walk in um on this local trail on Tuesdays that's really lovely and it's great but there's a lot of oh you look so great you lost so much weight conversation with with other people and so you kind of have to prepare for that too mm-hmm. And I, I come away from some of these meetings like, God, why am I even doing this? Mm-hmm. Because if you're if you're just pursuing activity because it feels good and because you want to be able to walk around New York City more when you go visit, that's an oddly specific goal that I have. Because nobody walks anywhere in Orlando. No. So. I go to New York and then I'm like, God, where's a cab? <laughs> <laughs> and your legs are a lot longer than mine, Leslie. Sure, they are. <laughs> we have pictures actually from St. Augustine documenting that fact. <laughs> That's true. I also have like, because I have this pedometer to track my steps, uh, which I have found to be a really great way to sort of document activity without all of the triggering other things that people use to quote unquote measure progress. Mm-hmm. But Ed and I will take the exact same path somewhere and I will have, I don't know, a third to a half more steps than he does. So you're <laughs> cheating. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the car 
cartoon with the great big dog and then the tiny little dog, and the tiny little dog's legs are moving like a million miles an hour? <laughs> yes. It's like that. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's it's an interesting point you bring up because, you know, we've seen in recent years, we've seen more and more um, sort of, I don't even want to say segregated, but it kind of is um, segregated, like, you know, fitnessing approaches where yeah. there's gyms that are specifically designed for plus size uh, patrons and, yes. you know. And and it, it, the idea that, like, we have to sort of separate is really depressing and sad, but I also think that it's completely valid. And I also think that, you know, a lot of the criticisms that I've heard of, you know, like plus-size gyms and, and exercise groups is always like, well, what if, you know, someone loses a bunch of weight? Do they kick them out? And, <laughs> and it's, and it's kind of like, okay, you're completely missing the point. Yeah. You know, like the point is is to foster a supportive environment. It's not that thin people are bad or dangerous or thinner people or that people who lose weight are bad or dangerous. And and more to the point, it Some also are. it is <laughs> it assumes that everyone who is exercising is necessarily losing weight, which is really not true for a lot of people. It also assumes that the only purpose of fitnessing, and I, I find myself really liking the term fitnessing better than exercising. So do because I. Exercise is so traumatic for so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that for a lot of people, the only point of activity or fitnessing is weight loss. And so they don't understand why you would do it if you're not losing if like if you're not set on losing weight or you're not losing weight or whatever and hence we wind up with these sort of like you know where i wouldn't i i cannot see like you're so much nicer than i am in so many ways because like i could not (laughs) see myself joining a non-specific like a non-fat specific women's like walking or running or hiking group because it would drive me batshit to have to, like, you know, hear people even making slight comments. Like, it just makes me rage because I feel like, hey, you know, here's an idea. How about we all go out and do something awesome in a social sort of awesome fun setting and not talk about, you know, weight loss for, like, an hour of our lives? Like, can we maybe try that (laughs) and see how, like, whether it makes the hike suck more? <laughs> that's my ulterior motive in even plugging the group. If you're in Orlando and you are a fat person, come to this group with me. <laughs> but of, there's a lot of different bodies, and the women are so nice, and I like them very much, and they're all very encouraging about uh, different ability levels. Mm-hmm. But it was really interesting because the first night I went out with them, they were like, oh, did you make it this far? And I'm like, I walked two miles. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a shock, I think, for a couple of them that I I could do that, I guess. Yeah. So I think, like, to weave this in to our self-care topic. Mm-hmm. I, I think we are both approaching fitnessing as a, as a way of taking care of ourselves, both because being active feels good for some bodies. I mean, obviously it is not for everybody and exactly. that is totally okay. Totally. Okay. 
Um, but I think we are both kind of in a place where the physical exertion is an outlet for a lot of the – I think we're both stressed out, and we both have a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. And the physical exertion is one way to manage that. Totally. And so I think we approach fitnessing from a self-care perspective, but it is a complicated thing to negotiate because of the things we just talked about. And anybody else who's interested in pursuing it for self-care kind of has to take those things into account. Mm -hmm. And it's worth noting, too, that it's really easy to for the whole, you know, fitnessing thing to get crazy making if you're sort of getting into it after, you know, you haven't done it for a while, because it, it does sort of invite a lot of, um, I guess I'll say triggering behaviors that, so, you know, there is sort of a, the reason I don't have one of those little Fitbit things is because I know I will obsess over every number and like, I, I, I don't even want that in my life. <laughs> you know, we because... that conversation, um, how, we both do tend to obsess over it. And I keep kind of checking in with myself and with Harriet, the therapist, to make sure I'm not getting too obsessive with it. Right. And I think that, you know, that's something that, you know, we have to stay vigilant against as well for obvious reasons, because it's very easy to start off, you know, with the idea that, oh, I'm going to start, you know, fitnessing and being active and, and all this stuff, and it's going to be great. And then quickly sort of, you know, if, you, if you're if you not vigilant, you can find yourself sliding into, you know, shitty behavior. So um, it's, it's so easy if you have that kind of compulsive number thing in your head the way so many of us do mm -hmm. to, to fixate and say, I, only, I quote unquote only have this many steps I've only traveled this far yeah. if I just do it more. And then because uh, the website will sort of connect you with your friends and rank you, it can become this incredibly competitive thing. Mm -hmm. um, I am getting a lot of benefit out of it because by showing myself my exertion, I kind of encourage myself to eat. That's the next part. That's a perfect segue. <laughs> I that, like feeding yourself, I think, is a fundamental part of self-care. Mm -hmm. And I think I've, I've been more open about it in recent years on ExoJane, but I have always had a very hard time feeding myself, um, eating, I don't know, what anybody would consider enough food, I guess, and seeing that I am spending all of this energy doing all of these things makes me feel like, oh, hey, I need to fuel myself more. Exactly. And that's a large part of feeling better and taking care of yourself is giving your body the food that it needs to go about your daily life. Absolutely. It's something that I've been really falling down on for the past few months. I know. Um, You've set an alert on your phone to eat breakfast. And I actually wind up ignoring it most of the time. Yeah. Um, it, it's just for me, um, because I have this, well, I have that whole needing to work thing um, problem <laughs> is, is a big part of it. Like, I'll get up in the morning and think, um, before I even sit down to work, I should go and at least make some toast and um, a pot of tea. 
and and just start with that and but then I'll be like well I'll just check email and the next thing I know it's noon and lately I haven't even been having lunch I've literally been going until like three four o'clock at which point I have a splitting headache and I feel like like punching random people in the face because I'm just thing is terrible at that point it's yeah it's like I mean at that point it's almost like you know even when I do wind up eating something it's not like it it fixes it like you know it it's it's I'm I'm in this sort of crap zone of misery that you know maybe a few hours after I've eaten I will start to feel better but um yeah this is something that I'm really trying to uh sort of focus on and this is also an angle which I know you've had this experience too where you can sort of feel kind of like you're crazy yeah um and I know a lot of people don't like the word crazy um for a bunch of reasons and I respect that but I feel like it's it's apt here um it it makes you feel like you're crazy because you know when you you live in this culture and you're constantly getting these messages about you know even even for people like you and I who have interrogated all of these messages, you're always hearing about you're eating too much and you're not moving your body enough. And, you know, I will go until like three, four o'clock in the afternoon without having eaten anything. And according to this logic, I should be losing weight. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it should just be dropping off. <laughs> because I do, even if I don't eat, I do take at least an hour out of the middle of every day to go fitness. Um, so, you know, that it, it, it sort of becomes this, this confusing. And it's not that I'm interested in losing weight. I'm not. Um, it's more a question of like, it becomes for me and I don't want to speak for you. So I'll let you talk in a minute, but for me, it becomes this, like this source of anger where, you know, I can, you know, I'll be, I'll, I'll basically let myself be hungry all day and just, you know, going off of adrenaline and stress and then you know I'll get a comment like I got on that that hiking post about you know well your problem is you know you're you shouldn't be eating so many midnight <coughs> snacks and it's like dude I can't remember the last time I had a midnight fucking snack like <laughs> like I'm lucky if I eat some you know some like an apple at like three or four o'clock in the afternoon and then sometimes I'll have a, a reasonable dinner of like you know rice or vegetables or because I don't really like cooking meat but even I haven't even really been cooking um just because I haven't been taking care of this and as you have you know mentioned before that you know I feel better if I'm actually eating meals that have been prepared and what I've been eating a lot of is you know like this really well this really awesome non-fried ramen that's Korean it's called coca noodles <laughs> and um yeah, so, like, this is pretty much, you know, wh what I've been sort of feeding myself just because, you know, it's become this this annoying task as opposed to something I'm doing thinking I'm fueling myself, not just physically my body, but my freaking brain and my ability to think and process and be smart and, and not have a splitting headache. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> it makes me angry is that people assume you're lying. Yeah. And you're going through all of this and you're feeling miserable and you're losing any sort of connection you have with your body's hunger signals and, mm -hmm. you know, you're tired and you've got these headaches and you don't feel good and people are telling you that you're still eating too much. Yeah. And 
I am crazy, and I, I use the word because I, I don't like a lot of medicalized language um, around it sometimes, but it makes me feel disconnected from my own reality. I have a hard time trusting my own perceptions in some ways, uh, in in part because of some past history of gaslighting and, and that sort of thing. So I have a hard time trusting my own experienced reality all the time. And for me, even, and, and that's, I think, the root of some of my most disordered eating in the past is that even though I was experiencing days without eating, I was still getting unrelenting cultural messaging that I was eating too much. And one of the things I've spent, I guess, kind of the last six months doing is trying to root out the idea of nutrition because I, I think lots and lots of fat people know a lot about nutrition, probably mm-hmm. more about nutrition than your average person on the street. But all of the nutrition we know is sort of through a weight loss lens. Mm-hmm. So it's about minimizing nutrition, minimizing calories, minimizing fat intake, minimizing whatever the current demon food stuff is, according to popular media. It's not about eating more, which I have been struggling to to kind of do in some sort of sane and, and reasonable and healthy way. And what makes me very angry is the clash there between doing what I know my body actually needs me to do and what everybody else thinks I need to be doing. Mm -hmm. So when I am feeding myself and someone offers, do you really need that? Or you should try the low fat version or I have this great recipe to replace all of the calories and deliciousness in that with Splenda. (laughs) That's where my real, like point of anger comes because not only are they trying to take my sort of hard won hunger away from me, they're completely and totally erasing my, my sort of own experience of my body and my own knowledge of what I need. Absolutely. And, and if, even if people, you know, do, sort of buy like I I am reminded I made a comment on Twitter a couple weeks ago about like you know not eating breakfast or lunch for like three days straight and some asshole um who I blocked uh at replied and basically said you know well that's probably a good idea yeah Um, so it's like you know even if you have people who aren't you know saying you're lying you're clearly stuffing yourself with sticks of butter at every opportunity (laughs) Even if they believe you, the response is, well, that's good. You shouldn't yeah. be eating. You should you should be hungry and starving all the time because it's the only thing that will ever redeem you. And that is such a toxic thing. I mean, it's a toxic thing to say to someone who has a generally, you know, healthy, like, you know, who doesn't have a whole lot of food issues, who doesn't have a history of, you know, severe body loathing, 
but to say it to someone who does <laughs> is is like extra shitty. Like, you know, why the fuck would you do that? It's it's basically like saying I'm I'm trying to um, you know, make you completely lose your your any sense that you had that you're a real person with like feelings and needs and things you know that like you said that you have any idea of what's going on with your body and that you have a right to make those decisions independently and to decide what you need or what you don't need that we're going to tell you what you need and what you don't need yeah it's also I mean, you, you say I'm a lot nicer than you, but I, I think that's not always true because it reads to me as a sort of ringing endorsement of, hey, remember how you used to be sort of trying to kill yourself really slowly? Good job. Do that again. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, I, I think my assumption of people's intentions on that one are, are, are pretty grim. Mm-hmm. So... I think my frustration... Maybe this is part of my frustration with self-care as a concept, I guess, that is labeled, is also that it's just also fraught. I mean, there's nothing simple that we do to take care of ourselves that doesn't have this sort of flip side of cultural messaging about how either we shouldn't be doing it or we shouldn't be enjoying it because we're fat. That's a really, really, really important point, I think, because, yeah, what have we talked about so far? We've talked about, you know, being even marginally active and eating food. And and we're talking about this as it's as if it is, you know, like these these big things that we have to do to take care of ourselves. And like this is stuff that should just we should encourage, you know, people to be comfortable in their bodies, whether that means being active or not. Um and to feed themselves in the ways that make them feel best. And, like, why is this even a bat? Like, it, it just amazes me that this is even a battle, that this is a fight to, you know, eat sufficient food and, you know, be in public as, you know, a person with a fat body who is outside and, and moving that body in a way where people can see the body. <laughs> yeah. And that is somehow, you know, like this this – this enormous, you know, undertaking. It's just mind-blowing to me that, that, you know, these are the things that, I mean, it makes perfect sense, and I'm not minimizing it. I'm just saying when I step back and look at it from the outside, it's like, how fucked up is it that, you know, we're, this is, these are the things that we really have to sort of, you know, address and talk about, and that these are, are things that are challenging, not necessarily because there's, you know, anything wrong with us you know, in, in, in any kind of, you know, measurable sense, but because of the culture that we're steeped in. Yeah. And then when you step back into it and look at certain things like eating a damn salad, mm-hmm. I mean, how hard is that sometimes to go out in public as a fat person? Because you eat this salad and I mean, there are always incredibly unhelpful people who are like, hey, nobody's actually paying attention to you eat that salad. But I've had enough complete strangers offer their commentary to me when I eat a salad in public that I kind of hate eating a salad in public because their assumption is that I'm 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 being good. <laughs> eat a fucking salad because lettuce makes you regular. <laughs> 
And also, a lot of it is delicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Roughage. It's important for your colon. Colon health. <laughs> it's completely true. I mean, I, I think in a lot of circumstances, it's not necessarily like um, that. I think I think probably most of the time it's true people aren't paying attention, but it doesn't ha- need to happen that often to make it seem like there's this incredible yeah. weird pressure about it like it doesn't have it only it only needs to happen once in a while for you to feel like it's it's continuous yeah i i was buying tomatoes in a grocery store once years ago and a woman used that as sort of a launching off point to try to sell me on some weight loss scheme that she was an agent for or whatever and if you flip it around and eat cake in public it's 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 more of the same. It's mm-hmm. this idea that nothing is n- nothing is the right thing. Well, somehow we, everything we do is performative. That's what I was about to say. I mean, we talk a lot about how fat bodies very often are treated like public property. That people have this entitlement that you know, ostensibly, I don't know if it's because people think they're paying for my health care. Or if it's because, you know, they just in general think that they have a right to comment because I'm a member of the same species or culture. Um, but, yeah, no, I think that there's also an element of fat people's behavior being seen as public property. That, you know, it's not it's not always just, you know, how I look or how I'm dressed. Um, it's what I'm actually doing, which goes back to the exercising, fitnessing, you know, slash being outside and moving um, thing that, you know, if you're out, you are opening yourself up to this commentary because people feel completely entitled in a way that they wouldn't really feel that way for someone who wasn't fat. Like I keep trying to imagine um, a situation where, you know, an average or even a slender woman running down the street would get, I mean, I'm sure it does happen. I don't want to dismiss that experience and say that, you know, women of different sizes have never been, you know, mooed at or, 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 you know, had experienced, you know, negative uh, comments from strangers, um, you know, while they're out and just living their lives. But I feel like there's, there's a certain, there's a certain entitlement and there's a certain sort of like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like it's, it's sort of ubiquitous that, you know, we actually have television shows that, Inc- that teach people this is how you yell at fat people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like it, it. It is. It's something that we're we're sort of training groups of people to do, which is really freaking weird when you sit back and think about it. When you think about it in in that term, yeah, it is kind of absolutely horrifying. <laughs> When I and I'm obviously I'm referring to shows like Biggest Loser or um you know any yeah. any sort of you know fat person related and television the intervention with a fat person on it or what was that other one there was one that was on like TLC or something that was like fat and near death or oh <laughs> God I forgot about that one near death fatties where they had these people who were like 
you know, um, you know, like, like breathing exhausts me or, you know, I, I, and I mean, it just, which, I mean, in fairness, breathing sometimes exhausts me too, but, <laughs> True fact. but my, my response to that is, you know, maybe I need to talk to my doctor about, you know, different asthma medication. It's not, you know, like, oh, clearly my fat has infested my lungs and that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so I I think that you know there is this this social el the social social and cultural element of training people that you know you're allowed to do this, you know like even people who generally would probably think them think of themselves as as nice people as you know you know not jerky people. Well, it's for your own good. That's what it comes down to is you know yeah. well it's because we care about you and obviously because you're so fat you're you're you can't hear any of our good intentions unless we yell them in an abusive way well that's because there's all that fat in your ear right <laughs> blocking specifically the kind and thoughtful questions about your house yeah that aren't their business anyway i kind of too want to talk about a more um, abstract concept of this whole self-care thing, which is, um, and it, it works with both the things we've been talking about, but um, setting boundaries, which we have talked about a lot on FatCast in the past, and I know I harp on this a lot, but I feel like it's so freaking important yes. um, to, you know, to know that, you know, the only thing that I really ever got out of therapy that was like super super useful because I've talked at length before about how much I don't like therapy but the one thing that I got was um at one point my therapist sort of like looked at me and basically was like yeah you know I was talking I was telling some story and she was like you know of course you're you're totally allowed to set boundaries and to expect people will respect those boundaries and that that like floored me not because I wasn't setting boundaries I've always been really good at that um, it's because I always felt so guilty about setting boundaries. And it was really the first time in my life that someone had said to me, you're allowed to say, you know, to say family members, don't talk about, you know, don't tell me that I need to diet. Don't tell me you're worried about my weight. Don't tell me that da, 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 da. you're allowed to say that and, and expect it to be respected and to not feel like shit for having said that to your family that that this is something you're you're completely entitled to do. And that was really that was, you know, a huge huge thing for me was feeling getting that sort of guilt like lifted that oh, I'm allowed to you know, do this and not feel like a selfish jerk about it. Not only are you allowed to, I think it's vital that that we do. Mm -hmm. I think it's a fundamental part of, I don't know, a, a fundamental part of self, self-care, for, for lack of a better term. No, you're right. No matter what else we choose to do, that has to be part of it. I think maybe that's how you start to negotiate everything else going on. I mean, maybe your boundaries are different with, your fitnessing group and you set the boundary that nobody is going to talk about weight loss where my boundaries are nobody's going to offer commentary on my personal body mm -hmm. but 
whatever they say about their body, whatever. Right. I, I, I think maybe those those boundaries are the thing that makes everything else doable. Mm-hmm. The sort of difficult thing I think a lot of people don't necessarily expect when they run into boundaries is that when you set boundaries, you have to be willing to get up and walk away if people are not respecting your boundaries. Yeah. That's... If you if you aren't willing to enforce your boundaries, nobody's going to respect them. Mm-hmm. So you have to you have to be committed to, you know what, this is painful and it sucks, but I'm not going to join my family for this event because at the last one they said these things. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that I think the 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 importance of walking away from a toxic situation really can't be overstated. And I feel like that's a mistake we all make from time to time where, um, you know, we feel like we have to keep fighting and arguing even when we've long since run out of, of cope for lack of a better term. And yeah, there has to be a point where you just say, you know, you just sort of recognize, you know what, this isn't working. We're not, you know, you're not respecting what I've asked you to do. And I think that, you know, boundaries can be flexible too. I don't necessarily think that, you know, you can, you can set a boundary and then change it later. And and nobody's really allowed to be like, well, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're not sticking by it. Well, no, you can be flexible. You might start out saying no one, like you would example you gave, you know, you might start out telling your family, I don't want to hear anything about weight loss or dieting from anyone ever in any context. And then maybe a couple months later, you think, you know what, what really bothered me was when they said stuff specifically to me. So I'm going to just say, you know, just don't say it to me. And, you know, you can, you can work with people, but you do have to reach that point where you just realize that it's, it's, you know, I've got to walk away and you need to, you know, walking away is, is sometimes harder. I, if, I think than arguing. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you're arguing, you're engaged with it and you think they might, you might change your mind and you feel like you're defending yourself. Walking away sometimes feels like a defeat. Yeah. But I think when you deny people the thing that they want, which is, your company and your your attention, then they see the seriousness of your message, I guess. Mm-hmm. Even if your message is, I don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. Totally. I don't know. I, boundaries, they're a good thing. They're super good. And I think that, you know, in, in, in you know, like you said, they're, they're really fundamental in all of these um, conversations of just, you know, recognizing where your limits are and knowing when to, you know, fight for them and when to just say, you know what, I'm done, I'm out, and leave. So we've kind of tangentially touched on two things that are an element of self-care for me. Mm-hmm. And this idea of boundaries is also very important applied in these situations. One is therapy. Mm-hmm. And the other is going to the doctor. Yes. So therapy, I, I went, I actually, <laughs> I actually created like almost like a a folder full of information about myself, my history with therapy, my boundaries, 
the sort of giant list of events that was bringing me back into therapy after a couple of years gap. And I gave that to my therapist uh, the first time I went to visit her, sort of as an audition packet, I guess. (laughs) With the idea that if she could not jive with that, then she could not be my therapist. Mm -hmm. And by establishing that right up front, And I mean, it's (laughs) on some level, it's easy for me because I brought her, you know, lessons from the fatosphere and I handed it to her and I was like, this is one of the things that I am about. Mm -hmm. So that was, you know, a very concrete thing where she doesn't actually think she's ever going to magically talk me into weight loss perspective or whatever. Uh, It was also important to set those sorts of boundaries with my doctor. Yeah. And I think a lot of people avoid going to the doctor, hence the how can we cost people so much in healthcare when we never go to the doctor paradox. And I mean, I, I literally avoided the doctor for over a decade. I mean, the first doctor I went to was an allergist, not a GP, because I'd had such a bad experience the last time I went. And so I I got by going to emergency clinics for Z-Packs when I had pneumonia, that kind of thing. But it is important, as much as I hate to say it, to have a doctor you can trust to go to when you do have any kind of ailment, basically. Critically, critically, critically important. Um, I think that, uh, I think, I think that I'm looking up, I'm trying to find a a statistic right now because um, there has been actual research on, um, that has found that, you know, fat, AKA obese, um, individuals, <laughs> I like. I just like saying obese. Oh, um, <laughs> um, you know, are are you know markedly less likely to get um uh uh bleh, to get preventative care. Um, yeah. they're markedly less likely to go to the doctor on a regular basis. Generally, by the time um fat people do go to the doctor for something that's been an issue, it's it's already sort of developed into a problem. Um, The problem and the issue, of course, there obviously is that, well, hypothetically, that could cost more in healthcare, but it's not because they're fat. It's because fat stigma, cultural fat stigma prevented them from feeling comfortable going to the doctor because they didn't want to get harassed for being fat by their doctor. And and you kind of can't blame people for feeling that way. By the time I went to an allergist, to be treated for my allergies and asthma that I'd had my entire life. Uh, They did a breath test, and I was down to something like 34% of my lung function. Wow. Like, I had made myself really incredibly unwell, avoiding all of that. And then Ed moved in, and there was a new cat, and dust, and all of his stuff, and it just, like, it just stopped working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and 
if I had been treating those things, I'd have been in a much better place to handle that kind of environmental upheaval. But because I wasn't, I just stopped being able to breathe. Yeah. And that's, you know, that it it becomes, you know, it becomes more of a problem at that point that if you had, like you said, if you'd been going routinely, then this probably would have been addressed. And as a, I mean, this is, this is where it becomes a chicken or the egg scenario that, you know, are fat people sick because they're fat or are they sick because they don't go to the doctor (laughs) and, you know, they don't go to the doctor because of the stigma and the fear. I found some of those statistics. Um, Apparently obese women are, are less likely to be screened for colon cancer. Um, they are particularly white obese women are less likely to be screened for both breast and cervical cancer. So obviously that's your, um, that counts both mammograms and sort of regular boob checks when you get your pelvic. And obviously they're also not going for the pelvic because that's the cervical cancer screening. Um, is it anything more like horrific for for a lot of fat women though, than the idea of not only am I going to a doctor but I'm going to a doctor where I have to be naked and then he's going to touch my genitals. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, <laughs> that's, that's pretty, I mean, most women of any size find that, that experience pretty heinous. Yeah. Uh, I have this weird, and I've talked about this before. I have this weird, utter lack of shame in the doctor's office. Like I have in the past um, at a prior doctor's office, not the one that I go to now, which is awesome. Um, it's a uh, Fenway health in Boston. I highly recommend it. Um, but form other doctor's offices where they would give me like the paper robe and it literally would like, like, like it would cover like my back <laughs> and that would be like it. Cause you have to leave it open in the front. Um, and I would sit on the table starkers until <laughs> the doctor came back <laughs> just to be like, hi, this doesn't fit. Can you get me something that does? <laughs> and it's funny because in those circumstances, I'm completely not embarrassed at all. But the doctor or the nurse or whoever is, is completely mortified. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes the point, you know, it kind of is like, you know, talk to your people that, you know, when a fat lady comes in here, give her a fucking robe that she can actually use. I mean, I honestly don't care. I'll sit there naked for the whole exam and I don't give a shit. Um, I have this assumption that like doctors have seen everything. So if, you know, if they are horrified by my body, then fuck them. And I'm going to shove it in their face as long as I'm in that office. So I kind of hate robes because then there's the whole, is this robe going to fit? Are my arms going to fit in the armholes? But the best thing I went with a friend from live journal on a spa weekend in upstate New York in like the middle of the winter time. It was snow and ice and (laughs) it was a whole new world but the spa they didn't do robes they just gave everybody a giant sheet which is yeah that fits everyone i mean that's literally one size fits all i was wrapped up in this giant sheet and i was like you know what this is fantastic and i would so much rather have this than a paper robe thing or a, a half-ass robe that doesn't fit that they've slam, you know, shoved in the back of a closet for their two fat patients. Mm-hmm. You know, just just give me a big sheet. It's awesome. When I when I went to um when I injured my shoulder earlier this year and I had to go and get X-rays of it, and um you know they 
you obviously like you have to go topless otherwise they're going to get an x-ray of your bra and all that shit so um they they you know brought me in for the x-ray and they were like okay you can you know take your clothes off they show me a little room and i said do you have are you sure there's you know a robe that's big enough for me and um and she starts like well she's like there might be in there but you know i'll get you one so she goes to some locker and pulls out this robe and hands it to me and i go in and i take off my clothes i go to put on this robe and it was like it was it was so big like and i'm not saying this like to as this isn't like you know like me harshing on people who need who it would actually fit but it was like it was just massive it was literally it had to be probably the biggest size that they make and for me it was sort of surreal because i'm so not used to i'm i'm at the upper end of you know most plus sizes in in you know like in stores like usually i'm between a 26 and a 28 um, so I'm usually used to like just fitting the biggest thing that they have. So they give me this massive voluminous robe and I come out and I like, I'm, I'm all wrapped up in like origami and shit so that it's not flopping open all over the place. And the woman's like, Oh, she's like, I'm sorry. She's like, do you want a smaller one? I was like, no, no, <laughs> I am so happy in this huge robe. Like, I can't tell you how pleased I am that you have this huge robe that, you know, I'm sure there are women coming in here who, and men for that matter, who, you know, need a freaking x-ray and are are worried that you're not going to have something to fit them and it's awesome that you have this giant robe that will fit you know probably a pretty good proportion of people so yeah so that was like you know but that was something I mean that was an x-ray I actually put that x-ray off for and I'm you know me I'm not that that shy about going to the doctor generally I mean obviously I'll sit there naked but um I put I put that x-ray off for like a couple of weeks because even though I was worried that I seriously damaged my shoulder um, because I was worried about the robe, yeah, which is like the most ridiculous thing. But you know, it 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 really impacted my ability to take care of myself. Was this fear that I don't want to go, and you know, be sitting in a waiting room, like sort of shuffling a too small robe, trying to keep myself, you know, relatively not nude, in a room where there will hypothetically be some other people waiting. And so. the brutal. The brutal thing is that there's a lot of offices where that's exactly what would have happened to you. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who more than, oh, I put it off for a couple of weeks, who just wouldn't go and then would deal with a lifetime of injury. Yeah. And that's that 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 continues to happen just makes me so angry on behalf of, you know, not only all these other people, but on behalf of myself, because I, I know that that's always a possibility that I'm we I mean we have spent a lot of time interrogating these things we've done a lot of work but even having done all that work that fear still exists mm -hmm. and I can't ever say with a hundred percent certainty I will never put something off or ignore something I mean I hurt my knee to a year and a half ago, I hurt my knee and ignored it for a week and a half because the very last thing I wanted to try to do was to interview new doctors with a knee injury. Yeah. <laughs> and even, even just sort of thinking about how much work we have put into this, that we are still trying to navigate these things is is incredibly frustrating i think i mean it's because you know the work that we've put into it has been about you know 
figuring out ways for coping and handling it internally, it hasn't, you know, it's had minimal effect on the real shit that we actually have to face. So, you know, I may know, you know, I may know intellectually, okay, I need to consider that, you know, like I need to remember to ask them for a bigger robe. I need to remember every time I go to the doctor to get them to bring me the big cuff, the big blood pressure cuff, because they always are. Last time I was at the doctor, they argued and was like, no, 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 this is the big one. And I'm like, bullshit. I know exactly what the big one is, that that is not the big one. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I mean, it's exhausting. And it's like, I have, as you know, I'm sure you do too. I have like little sort of recited speeches that I can go to in my head for this sort of thing. Like when somebody gives me shit about the blood pressure cuff and I can tell them exactly what my arm measurement is because you can't debate with the arm measurement. If a cuff gets, you know, for people who don't know, blood pressure cuffs are, are ranked in the size of your arm. If you have a bigger arm, you need a bigger cuff. Otherwise you get an inaccurate reading. They're ranked by uh, centimeters. So each cuff size has a range of centimeters that it works for. If you're past that range, obviously that cuff's not going to work for you. And I have, like I said, I have all this information. I know exactly what my heart measurement is in (laughs) centimeters so that I can say this to someone. And I still dread it. Like even with all the preparation, even knowing that, you know, I have the tools to cope with this, I still dread it because, you know, part of me, will always be like, when will it the day come that I don't have to worry about this? And I don't, I, I don't know that it will, but... <laughs> I think that maybe this is one of the difficult aspects of self-care, is having those scripts and knowing your arm measurement and being prepared for that fight. Because as difficult as it is, in the moment, you know, as as much as you dread doing that, it's so much better than going in cold mm-hmm. without any sort of preparation. It's so much better than going in and expecting things to be okay and then having it definitely not be okay. And one of the amazing things about this, too, is that I didn't even know for years that you could ask for something like a bigger rope. You know, like we, we sort of, particularly in a medical environment, you know, our, our, our social response is usually just to sort of quietly go along with whatever they tell us to do. And I spent a really long time going for, you know, annual pelvics and just sort of like, you know, like dealing with a too small robe and being sort of uncomfortable and embarrassed by it because it didn't even occur to me to be that I had any right to say, I'm sorry, this doesn't work. Can you bring me a bigger robe? <laughs> Beyond that, I think, especially when you're a big fat fatty, you're just so used to there not being anything else that will fit. Yes. I mean, we, we talk about tailoring, oh, buy a size up. That size doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And I was, I don't know, I was probably 30 before I realized and found a good doctor that there even was a larger blood pressure cuff. Yeah. That that kind of thing even existed was, Hey, what, what really? (laughs) And I mean, even beyond being able to ask for it, just that it exists 
existed was was news. That's what I mean. Yeah, like even even the concept that they would have a bigger blood pressure cuff or a bigger robe or you know whatever the circumstances that you know is is a problem you know that 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 accommodations are an option yeah that, that you can you know that you can therefore you have a right to ask for like yeah that's completely was something that didn't even occur to me until you know I sort of learned to to advocate for myself in that environment and you know that is critical to you know, taking care of yourself, advocating for yourself is critical to self-care in a general sense, but particularly in, you know, demanding good uh, therapy, good medical treatment, um, you know, that's that you have to be able to, to say, this is what I want, you know, can you accommodate me? And that's where the boundaries come in again. You then have to be able to walk away if they can't accommodate you. And sometimes you can't. Yeah. Sometimes there is no other doctor or there is no other, I don't know, situation that you are at the time capable of putting yourself in. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, then you need other sort of self-care and coping strategies because you're in for a really difficult situation. But I hear all the time, oh, I can't, it's my doctor. I can't, do anything about that and your doctor works for you mm-hmm. he's your employee or she is your employee and you have a right to demand a certain standard of service and you know I mean I I, I, I know that you know like it's probably there's always a fear of getting branded as that non-compliant problem patient but you know, sometimes I feel like that's a risk that we have to take in order to get the treatment that we need. I mean, you know, how often have, you know, you or I or or lots of people gone to the doctor for something completely unrelated and being told that we need to lose weight? Um, yeah. I, I, you know, several years ago was at the doctor recovering from pneumonia um, and literally apropos of nothing, the nurse practitioner I was seeing asked me if I was interested in weight loss surgery. And she was a really nice lady, and I'd seen her a bunch of times, and I knew she wasn't trying to be, like, completely horrible. <laughs> but, you know, it was sort of bewildering, where it was like, you know, I'm I'm here for you to check how my lungs are doing. Um, why is this, you know, coming up here? Or people who, you know, there's, uh, I know, I had a lot of friends who have had knee and ankle issues whose doctors have basically refused to treat them until they lost weight. And which is why I always have that whole, you know, okay, if I weren't fat, how would you treat this issue? Because let's do that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like let's, let's, let's try that first and, and see how actually treating whatever I've come in here for goes. Um, Because, you know, prescribing weight loss is not necessarily productive in in this circumstance. Yeah. In any circumstance. Really. Unless people ask, and I know that there's been this movement in in a lot of the medical community that, you know, apparently there's a lot of doctors that are afraid to bring up weight with their fat patients, which 
fucking news to me, man. <laughs> like, I never had doctors who had any trouble at all bringing yeah. up weight. But I'm also, like, you know, good. I, I am sorry that they're afraid or whatever, but good. Well, I think part of it, too, and part of what, what gets missed in, in, in these conversations is that, you know, the fear comes from not wanting to stigmatize and not wanting to drive someone away from medical care altogether, which is completely understandable. But yeah. I also think part of it has to be that, you know, there really isn't a cure. It's not like, you know, you have, uh, you know, a... a, a, a ear infection and we'll give you these drugs and the ear infection will go away you know weight is so much more complicated and it's hard to just say oh here's a problem that i've noticed you're having that here i'm diagnosing it and now here's what you do to take care of it like you th that that just doesn't happen with weight and yeah. yeah so i think that that's probably an element of it too and like you said i think it's good i think that you know I think that it's it's reasonable for doctors to bring it up when it is directly pertinent um or they have reason to believe that it is it is a, you know this is possibly a factor but not necessarily in a context of you need to lose weight like my doctor will periodically I I forget I'd asked her a question um like 6 months ago or something um and uh I don't. I wish I could remember what it was about, but regardless, she, you know, sort of rattled off a bunch of information, and she said, "And you know, you being um, obese is probably also, you know, a minor contributing factor." And then that was it. She didn't say, "You got to lose weight. You're a bad person. <laughs> Stop eating fatty." She <laughs> she just sort of, you know, ticked that off as like she, you know, like you would tick off. Well, you're, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh. I, I can't even think of like a risk factor right now. Like you're a lady, so you're, you know, you're, you have, you have certain, you have ovaries, therefore you have a risk of PCOS <laughs> because yeah. if you don't have ovaries, you probably don't have that risk. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, I think that I'm, I'm being really inarticulate when what I'm trying to say here, but um, I think that, you know, it's possible to bring it up in a non-judgmental, non super super misery inducing triggery way as just sort of a fact of of you know this body that i have that you know just like saying you know i have knees and i have a head um i am also fat so it seems you don't have a head <laughs> why blind people it seems fair that you know <laughs> that could be brought up as an aspect but not in a way that is you know I don't know, that is, is sort of shaming or, or, you know, blaming that for everything that is wrong with you that just sort of acknowledges it as, as a, an angle. Yeah. 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 That's, <laughs> that's my articulate contribution to that. <laughs> yeah. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Cause we're coming up on, we're, we're a little over an hour and, um, too much more than like this then and the file gets a little unwieldy for me to edit <laughs> I, did. I I wanted to talk about smaller things though one of them is great big like small things like doing your nails or yes lighting a candle that smells good things that that make your environment pleasant 
I think all of that factors into self-care. Um, I have been on a really almost militant mission at home to purge and organize our belongings. And part of that is so that when I am at home, I am not overwhelmed and distracted and upset by the environment yeah. that that I'm in coming in and we we filled our closets with closet made and it's really pretty incredible <laughs> and being able to find my rainbow zebra dress or you know my ice cream cone dress or or whatever really does feel like an element of self-care mm-hmm. um the larger sort of part of that is one of presentation and <sighs> I won't say performative presentation because that's not everybody's bag, but you can sort of like I I dress up to go to therapy because I I feel better and it's because a little, there's a big mirror in the waiting room. <laughs> there is a big mirror in the waiting room. It's an entire wall. But also I feel a little stronger when I am wearing something that. I love or that I know looks good or that has a rainbow zebra on it, whatever. And so I think that presentation, whatever your particular style of presentation is another one of those really complicated aspects of self care where it's, it's for people who are invested in that kind of, I don't know. I, it's probably always performative in some way um, if it's serving as armor or confidence boosting or, or whatever. But it's another one of those things that's kind of hard to navigate because then you get back into the question of accessibility, uh, whether it be price, size, style, all of that sort of thing. I, I feel like at my particular size, it's a whole lot easier to buy dresses than it is to buy pants mm-hmm. and I know that you are not into pants but I really love pants pants are pants I really love pants and that aspect of presentation is is a lot harder for me to access at my at my size mm-hmm. but devoting a certain amount of energy to it means that I can still sort of sort of navigate that I guess um that aspect of it having things that I like and presenting myself in a way that I like is a huge element of how I take care of myself Mm -hmm. and when I go to work every day in black pants and a black top I'm not having a great week yeah because I I don't (laughs) If matching my blacks is, like, the most thought I can give to an outfit, you you know that I'm kind of drained and I don't have a lot of sort of emotional energy for anything. <laughs> yeah, it's very important that you match your blacks. It, so, it really is. <laughs> so it can be sort of a barometer. And, I mean, that's one reason I take pictures in the giant mirror wall at my therapist's office. Because it serves as sort of a emotional temperature taking mm-hmm. of how 
I'm feeling at any given point. And I think that's one reason why frequently taking pictures of your outfit is, is kind of cool. It, it reveals those kinds of trends, mm-hmm. you know, in addition to all of the things that can teach you about how your body looks and what your style is and the things you wear over and over again and that kind of thing. It can also be kind of an emotional touchstone. I totally think that having um, developing an idea of sort of style, even if your style is very simple, very minimalist, um, I think that that completely is critical that, you know, we have such limited control over how bodies like ours are portrayed and presented culturally that there is a feeling of, of you know, for me at least, like control freakism where, you know, if I'm taking my body out into the world, I am damn well going to be meticulous in how... I am presenting it because I can't control the assumptions that people are going to make, but I can at least sort of have some degree of control over whether they look at me, how they look at me, um, whether I'm intentionally drawing their attention. Um, I think that those things are, are really critical to me for feeling like I have some degree of of control and 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 security even when i'm out by myself and i am feeling like a target because the reality is dressing to be invisible doesn't work either <laughs> you know i get more crappy comments if i'm wearing something really garish and attention grabbing it's true but if i'm you know dressed sort of not to stand out, not according to my usual style, to dress to sort of fit into whatever I'm assuming fitting in means. Um, I don't, I don't feel good either. I feel like you said, like you know, black shirt and black pants. I feel like I'm, I'm sort of disappearing, and that's not a good feeling either. Even though it might be technically a little bit quote unquote safer in terms of not getting, you know, harassed as much. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I think it does. I think that I think sometimes I think sometimes when we do dress in this sort of I mean garish, obnoxious, it it kind of is. We both have elements of that in our personal style. Elements. Elements. <laughs> That's kind. I'm being, I'm being subtle, Leslie. <laughs> When, when I grow out in that awesome, awesome hot pink dress with yellow ice cream cones on it, I know that people are going to look at me. Mm-hmm. But I also feel a little more prepared because I know that dress is fucking awesome and that I look awesome in it. And that any comment they make is because they're terrible people. Uh-huh. Versus if I'm out in like black pants and a black shirt because I didn't have any give a shit that morning and I wasn't sort of taking care to express, I don't know, my meanness or whatever, you know, it, it feels a little less like I have that protective shell or whatever. I don't know. It doesn't make their comments more valid. It's still them, but 
I know that I have less energy and less investment in my appearance. And so sometimes it hits a little harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear that. If that makes sense. I hear that for sure. Yeah. And I think it's not always necessarily about, you know, like we were talking about access, which is absolutely um, a critical component of that, both, um, you know, having financial access to buy stuff and having access to stuff that's in your size, which uh, a lot of people, depending on their size and depending on where they live, may be extremely limited um, what they can actually get their hands on. And I, I think that, you know, but I, I feel like there is, even in those circumstances, you know, there's 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 stuff that, you know, we can, I just totally lost my train of thought. Ah! Can you pick it up? <laughs> what your thought was, I was just thinking about how it's really hard to be a very fat butch. Yes. Because it's it's easier to find dresses because, you know, free hip size or whatever, but it's it's really hard to find other specific styles mm-hmm. and that factors into access as well. It's not just being able to find clothes that will physically go on your body. It's being able to find clothes that will physically go on your body and adequately express the identity that you are trying to sort of code into your presentation. Exactly. And I think, you know, like I, I've, I've experienced this back in um, when Torrid first um, showed up on the scene that I have even had the the weird thing where I have allowed what was available to me sort of direct my style at the time. So yeah. like when Torrid first started coming out, I was in grad school. I was, you know, getting a, a teaching degree. I had really left all of my goth days behind me. You never truly leave them behind you. true. But I mean, like, I wasn't dressing like that every day. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, Torrid comes out of nowhere, and it's like, holy shit. Like, all the clothes that I wanted to wear are suddenly available to me. And I had, like, this second adolescence, basically, (laughs) where I bought, you know, as much as I could afford. And they used to have such great clearance stuff. They really did. Oh, it's so tragic now. But, like, you could get, like... Yeah, you could get, like, amazing stuff so cheap. And now it's, like... I I won't distort it. I mean, whatever. I know people like them, but... Um, I like some of their stuff, but they are a vastly different store than they used to be. And what I really wanted and longed for was the store they used to be. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't necessarily want to get rid of Torrid now because it certainly serves a purpose. And I have gotten some great stuff there. But I still need a plus size Hot Topic, Mm -hmm. basically. Yeah. I did that. I did the same thing actually fairly recently. And it's one reason I had a shit ton of clothes to send to Rachel at redress um, because I love the sort of cotton poplin dresses from Ishakti, mm-hmm. but I bought a bunch of them in styles that were just sort of like they were, they were lovely, wonderful dresses, but they weren't necessarily me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I bought them a little bit to try to sort of play with style, but also because they're beautiful cotton poplin dresses. And 
for a minute there, just the ability to access that counted more than the really, really, I'm, I'm buying this sort of green sundress with buttons down the front. I'm never going <laughs> to wear that. You know, I tried it. I tried it, and it was not me at all. Mm-hmm. But that's how I think that that's sometimes how we wind up wearing things that do not reflect how we want people to view us. Yeah. Totally. And, and I think there are people who are already dealing with um, certain kinds of bodies. I mean, we, we've talked, I think in various podcasts, but certainly in various written works about how fat tends to be feminizing. Oh yeah. Um, in addition to, for a lot of people infantilizing. Mm-hmm. And so if you are a fat woman who wants to present in a more masculine style, that's, that's already sort of a difficulty. Like if you have big boobs, your, your body can already sort of feel like a betrayal Mm -hmm. and to then not have access to clothes that present how you want the world to see you is, is awful. I feel like fat when it comes to style is sort of like, it just fucks with gender in a billion different ways because um, for a long time, I felt like I couldn't wear dresses like I I did dress pretty butch because I felt like being a fat woman that's all I was allowed I felt like it actually made me more masculine than Mm -hmm. it did feminine and I've known a lot of you know butches who have gone on to become femmes who who started (laughs) off um being butch because they felt like well I'm fat and I'm queer which I guess means I'm butch because that's sort of the stereotype and, you know, it's, it, it, which kind of goes along with the idea of, you know, nobody wants to fuck fat women because they're, you know, they're gross in a bunch of different ways. And one of those ways is that their fat just completely destroys their gender in any sort of socially acceptable way, particularly when you get into like super fats or great big fats. So, yes. um, you know, that for sure is, I think it's super, super complicated. And I think you're right. I think that, you know, lots of butches sort of struggle with the idea of, you know, being too curved, but, you know, there's also sort of this idea that, you know, once you're, you get to a certain level of fatness, you're not allowed to be girly anymore either. Yeah. It's so complicated. It's forcibly desexualized. Yeah. And, and I do think there is something interesting with the way people assume the sexualization of the femme. But I think that is also like an entirely huge concept that we would need like another two hour podcast to kind of. Unpack. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Just throwing that out there and then walking away from it. <laughs> like you throw a, a grenade into a room. Like, bye. <laughs> but so I think we've covered a lot of topics. Um, or even not that many, but it's <laughs> like a lot of topics because they're they're really huge issues. Yeah. And it started out like we're going to talk about the things we do for self-care. And then we basically talk about how complicated and hard it is. Yeah. And I, I want to acknowledge that self-care, no matter how you feel about that label, 
is an incredibly difficult thing to do, even as it's an incredibly vital thing to do, because nobody's going to take care of you the way you take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And as difficult as all of these things are to navigate, um, they're kind of conversations you have to have with yourself and that you have to approach deliberately because if you if you don't take care of yourself you're you know you're you're gonna suffer for it and I don't mean take care of yourself in the sort of typical oh you've really let yourself go kind of take care of yourself I mean that it's important no matter what our activity level no matter what our level of fatness or stylishness or healthfulness or whatever it's important and that's that's why I like the idea of health at every size it's it's important to sort of take care of ourselves no matter what level we're at on a so that we feel as good as we possibly can at any given moment I guess totally I mean on a basic level to me I think that um it's a critical aspect of just valuing yourself in general and yeah. I think that that is, you know, if if you're you have to you if you're you one feeds the other, you have to take care of yourself and your needs um, in order to value the person that you are, and you know, vice versa. If you want to value yourself, you have to be doing these tasks. They feed into each other, and and you know, given that so many fat people really struggle with that whole. I'm worthless sense from the start. Um, I think, yeah, it makes even basic self-care really challenging sometimes to, to, you know, do it and feel like I'm entitled and I deserve to be able to do this and I'm worth, you know, doing this for and I want to take care of me. As much as I hate the sort of real women BS, when it first came out, I think it was really revolutionary for a lot of women to think that it even was possible for them to be stylish or considered attractive or like I have this incredibly clear memory. Um, I had bought these ridiculous like super light wash jeans at Lane Bryant and I had like this v-neck teal jersey shirt or whatever, and my hair was all curly and long, and I had my sunglasses on, and I remember being in the mall, and these two dudes visibly checking me out, mm-hmm. and it was this sort of watershed moment of realizing that despite what I had heard all of my life, it was possible to be considered attractive, mm-hmm. and I don't think that that is a goal like I I don't think we should all be working towards being attractive (laughs) and and you know guys and malls yeah (laughs) or you know raising ourselves on the the scale of fuckability or whatever Mm -hmm. but I like that the possibility is there like I, I want people to have possibility and opportunity for the things that they want I want there to be this commonly held notion that lots of different things are attractive. Lots of different people want to do lots of different things with lots of other people. And I feel that growing up fat in particular, but being a very fat person bars you from all of that possibility. 
Mm-hmm. And and that's one of the things that I kind of work. I think that was sort of the initial work that I did was recognizing that the barriers between me and possibility were just sort of put in place arbitrarily, that there was no good reason for any of it. Yeah. So I, I didn't have to hate myself. I I could wear pretty dresses and makeup and whatever. Yeah, I I mean, I remember the whole Lane Bryant Real Women stuff, and and I hate it with the Fire of a Thousand Suns even today. But the thing that was magical about that for me wasn't even so much the concept of, you know, I'm a real woman and other women are fake. It was more the idea that I'm a woman, period. Yes, because that wasn't actually I in in my book Two Whole Cakes I talk about um, this encounter um, with uh, hooking up with a guy and the guy said something about you know I don't even remember what the exact thing was but something about you know your body is da 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 and that totally floored me it actually took me completely out of the moment um, <laughs> totally floored me because that it was this crazy moment where I realized wait I have a body. Because yeah. for so long I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it that like I had this this abhorrent thing that was like I was chained to, but it wasn't really a body because bodies don't look like this. So yeah, I had a similar you know sort of experience with the idea that you know oh I get to self determine. Yeah. You know? <laughs> what like it was it was you know one of the, the early times where I realized I get to decide for myself how I look how I present myself, how I want people to see me, even if they don't always see me the way I I ideally would prefer, I get to do what I can to sort of control that as much as I'm able. And that was enormously uh, sort of liberating and revolutionary for me. And I think part of that revolutionary concept for me too was that it doesn't have to come at the negation of something else. Like that's my fundamental problem with the whole real women issue is that it sets up a, this is real. This is fake. Mm-hmm. Really? It's all real. And I, because bodies, corporeal, that sort of thing. Yeah. But the idea that women do not have to be in competition with one another I think is still a fairly radical one for a lot of people. Yeah. Particularly a lot of straight women, I mm-hmm. think. Um, I, I think it was when I became more involved in queer community that the idea of competing for a man became a lot less prevalent. And, and I'm sure that that was not a universal sort of characteristic. I'm sh- I'm totally sure that there are lots of queer communities where people still compete mm-hmm. with each other, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I've seen that I, a lot. <laughs> but but the community in which I was involved, there there wasn't any, uh, or not any, but there wasn't as, as much of an emphasis on that. Right. And the idea of competing for a man and other women being your enemy just didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that is still something that's kind of ingrained in our society. Yeah, totally. 
Yeah. Cool. So I think we made a podcast, Leslie. I think we did. Wow, this is bizarre. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Did you want to say anything else before I, I wrap it all up with a bow? I think I've rambled quite a lot tonight. I think you've been brilliant, as always. You are brilliant. (laughs) Well, how about that? Like, I think part of, a huge part of self-care is the people around you. Yeah, let's mention that, too. And I would not be nearly so okay if I didn't have, like, you and Julia and and the other incredible fat people and people with all sorts of other bodies Mm -hmm. um, that I know. I just don't know that I would be able to navigate the great big fat hating world completely in isolation. Mm-hmm. I, I think that is so, so hard. And we, you know, people kind of diss online activism, whatever, but, but it connects people who would not otherwise have ever met. I mean, we met through Fashionista on Live Journal. I know, because you, you posted yourself in your underwear. Yeah. <laughs> because I had a picture of myself in my underwear on the internet. <laughs> oh my God, so many people are going to be Googling for that. <laughs> it's not that hard. It's on XOJ even. <laughs> All right. Well, you have been listening to the first Fat Cast in two years. I am Leslie Kinzel. I am Marianne Kirby. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>